Do you have a problem with anger? Join us for Abounding Grace and learn how to deal with it as God would have you. This is amazing grace. It's one of the most frequently committed sins in the body of Christ. But what's left behind are hurt feelings and damaged relationships. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll see how to deal with anger so it doesn't get the best of us. Pastor Ed Taylor will use Moses as an example that we can learn from. Yes, even Moses had an anger problem. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 32 as we get today's study underway. If you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 32, as Moses is overlooking the promised land from Mount Nebo. And he's receiving the word, and this is, a, this is the end of his life. In Deuteronomy 32, he's receiving word from God. And imagine this, everything that Moses has been through, everything that he's experienced, the first 40 years of his life, then the, the second 40 years of his life on the backside of the wilderness, then another 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. Like he's at the end of his life anticipating going into the promised land and listen to what it says. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 48. That same day the Lord said to Moses, go to Moab, to the mountains east of the river, and climb Mount Nebo, which is across from Jericho. Look across the land of Canaan, the land that I am giving to the people of Israel is their own possession. Verse 50, then you must die there on the mountain and join your ancestors just as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor and joined his ancestors. For both of you broke faith with me among the Israelites at the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. You failed to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel there. So you will see the land from a distance, but you may not enter the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel." And to that we say, what? 120 years, the last 40 of which he spent leading the children of Israel through all the murmuring, all the complaining, all the difficulties. This is the same man that the Bible describes as more humble than any man on the planet earth. Can you imagine? Actually, Moses wrote that of himself. How hard that must have been to write what a humble man he was to write that out. Like, I'm very humble. You know, you know, whenever you start to speak about your humility, you've lost it. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, Moses was able to write it. And yet the reward of 120 years was, you will not enter in. You will die. And you will not go in. Why? Well, because you failed to demonstrate my holiness. He tells him, basically, you misrepresented me. You did something I didn't ask you to do. And what you did represented me, and it was misrepresenting. And I can't help but think that there's bitter sweetness in his heart, in his mind here. As he is there on Mount Nebo overlooking. We've actually stood on Mount Nebo. 
uh, when we took one of our excursions to Petra on one of our trips, and even though it was a little cloudy there, you know, even a little hazy there, it was a fascinating view. And I, I can't help but think of what Moses must have seen on that day. And he would see the land, but not personally experience it. And yet, there is a sweetness in here, because even though Moses is not going to experience, the people are going to go in. Because God always keeps his promises. And so the truth of God's faithfulness won't not be thwarted by our unfaithfulness, even though our unfaithfulness can sometimes withhold our enjoyment of the blessings of God. The consequences of sin can hurt us deeply, especially when it comes to anger. And as I was studying this, I found a streak of anger in the life of Moses. It comes up over and over and over again. Even though he was a mighty man of God, even though God used him greatly from an early age, his mom set him afloat by faith on the Nile River. I mean, he, he, you can just look at the destiny as we watch his life. And you'll see, you'll be able to see it in your life looking backward. Just the destiny that God had set for you and how God had it all planned for Moses. And we get to see it unfold. And, and it starts there with his mom said, putting him out on the Nile River. And how all, all of the, the circumstances lined up for him to grow up in Pharaoh's home and be trained and all the, I mean, it, it was a setup, even though at the time it didn't look very good and very promising. And even though he was a mighty man of God, mighty men of God can make serious mistakes. I'm reminded of Abram and his tendency to lie. I'm reminded of Jacob and his tendency to manipulate. I'm reminded of David and his adultery and even his murder. Some of the failures that he experienced as a dad. And yet in the hands of God, each of these men, and we can mention a few women in the Bible as well, God chose to use and redeem for his glory because even the worst of situations can be redeemed by God. And that's one of the amazing things about following God and trusting in Jesus Christ, abiding in him, is learning the lesson that some of the worst things in your life and what can be perceived as the worst things to ever happen can actually turn out to be the best. Because God can redeem and he can, take, he can take something, he can take ashes and bring beauty out of it. We have a tendency to see ashes and see no hope and no potential. And yet God sees beyond that and he can. And we know that God uses weak. We know that God uses frail people. We know God uses sinners because that's all he has. He uses those that get written off. He uses those that have no future. I mean, I, I was thinking of this recently and talking to someone, I'm just so grateful for the ministry of Calvary Chapel. I'm so grateful for my pastor and, and for Pastor Chuck and the many, because I don't know that there would have been a place for me in the body of Christ had God not brought me into a Calvary Chapel as messed up as I was. Like, you, how, how do you have any hope when you don't even have hope in yourself? And yet you walk into a church and you hear the love of God and the grace of God and God can use anybody and that sparks something inside of you. And that's true for you. I don't care what your background is. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what kind of craziness you were in, whether you just got out of jail right now or you're listening in jail, in Jesus Christ, there is hope for you. And God will use you. And he will redeem the weaknesses in your life. And he will, in Christ, by faith, work all things together for the good, for those that love him. So even today, if you write yourself off, God has not written you off in Jesus Christ because of the finished work of the cross. And I am personally grateful for this family of churches. I'm personally grateful of all the places I could have been invited. I was invited into this family 
and I was welcome into this family, and, and I was helped in this family, and they were patient with me, and I pray you receive the same, that you find hope and help and patience and love among the body of Christ, that we would love one another, that we would remember Jesus as he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he was bringing down that point to love your neighbor. Remember, there was the crescendo, and there was everybody, well, who is my neighbor? And you could ask that question today. And so often we're conditioned to think, well, our neighbor is outside of this building. Our neighbor is when we go to work. Our neighbor is the unbeliever. And if you came to that conclusion, you would be partially right. But I want you to understand tonight, church, that when you think of loving your neighbor, if you would just take a moment and look around the room, this is, these are your neighbors. The same love that we would give to the world as we win, disciple, and send is the same love you would give to one another here in this place. That we would extend grace and mercy to one another. That we, when a brother falls, we would help them get up. That we would truly pray for one another and not minimize. You know, sometimes we think, well, all you're doing is praying for me. Man, sometimes praying is all I can do for you. That's the best I can do for you. Because, you know, there are times when you face a situation, even some of you with your anger, and this gets revealed, like, like there's part of me that's like, I wish I could take some of it away from you. I wish God would give me some sort of supernatural ability to cut the edge of it, to, to just take it away, or, or maybe, you know, put up on a whiteboard just some kind of vision of what the future would look like if you didn't have anger, but I don't have that power. As a matter of fact, I don't have any power at all. The only power that matters in the church of Jesus Christ is the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he'll reveal these things to you if you follow him by faith because he does love you and he proved his love for you on the cross. And even if you were to go to the Mayo Clinic, to the website and say, oh, these are the 10 things, those 10 things are helpful, but they simply do not have the power to deal with the root issue in your life. There is no power in these 10 things. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in your own life when you're in the midst of being really angry and you just say, okay, take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. Like, it's just, I don't. <laughs> and other people are trying to tell you, take it easy, take it easy. And what are they? And then it just gets you more angry. Don't tell me what to do. You know, it's like, look, you need to surrender to Jesus. You need to, and I need to just trust in the Lord that he is sovereignly in control of my life and that my anger does not produce anything that resembles the righteousness of God. Nothing. And so Moses had this streak that seemed to never be dealt with because it got the best of him. It got the best of him. Moses was used to deliver a nation, to lead millions of people, to be a spokesperson for God. Dio Moody was listening to a man. Dio Moody, a great evangelist, he was listening to a man by the name of Henry Varley. And he heard Henry Varley say this, and I quote, the world is yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. That was part of a message. And so Henry Varley's teaching, listen, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And it was in that moment that D.O. Moody said, I want to be that man. And those of you that know church history know that God used D.O. Moody in amazing ways. Still ministering to this day 
even after he's in glory. But why do we make things so harder by trying to cover our sin with meager excuses and justify our sinful habits? Why is it that we're so comfortable with simply dismissing the clear conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives? In every man and every woman, there is that desire to be used, but there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And even under the old covenant in Moses, I know there was a battle in his life. The battle's described like this, if you'd like to jot it down in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that we are not free to carry out our good intentions. And from the New King James, we learned that that's the battle between the Spirit of God in us and our flesh. And I like how this is described, our sinful nature, or another way of thinking of our flesh is our old sinful habit patterns. This is especially strong for those of you who were saved later in life. Saved in your 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe in 50s, because up to that, you've, ha- you've created a lot of sinful habits that don't disappear right away. You're a new creation in Christ spiritually, but you've got that old fleshly brain still. And you've got all these, these, these repetitive motions of the flesh that are natural. And some of your natural fleshly reactions, some of you listening, is an angry reaction. You know, parents, anger is destructive to your children. And some of you are self-deceived that your anger is actually raising righteous, chi- righteous kids. It's not. You might be thinking, but Ed, you don't understand. My grandpa was angry. My dad was angry. My, gra- my dad turned out all right. I turned out all right. And my kids are going to turn out right. But I know a good examination of an angry home will tell you that you were hurt and wounded many times. Because anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And because you were wounded and angry, you're, you're, throughout, you were wounded and, and didn't have a voice. Because you, you, if you kind of picture it, you know, if your kid's seven years old and you're all mad at them, you're six feet tall, your kid's super short, what, what are they going to do? You know what they're going to do when you're angry? I'll tell you what they're going to do. I'll tell you exactly what they're going to do. A couple things. Number one, they're going to comply. You will get immediate compliance by your kids through your anger. And there's the problem. You misinterpret compliance as godly obedience. But your kid isn't necessarily complying out of godly obedience. You know why they're complying? Because they want you to stop being angry. They're scared. And they learn this repetitively. And so do you. Because your anger got them to stop something. Your anger controlled them. Your anger sent them to the room. And all you really got, compliance. Secondly, you know what your kids are doing? They're hardening their hearts toward you. It's very difficult to follow an angry person because it breaks the line of trust. It's hard to trust someone you're afraid of. And even in your mind, you think, but my kids have never said that. That's because they don't know how to formulate it. They don't have the conception of life like you and I do. And whether it's your children or your grandchildren, whether it's your grown children or those that work for you or those that work with you, whether it's your neighbor, anger leads to compliance and hardness. You should jot that down. Anger often leads to compliance, hardness, and a third thing that happens with kids and 
parents, I know I spoke to you because I just felt like the, this is a very important thing. I felt like the Lord is impressing me to include parents in this. But it's true in all our relationships. Anger also, it's not only compliance, not only hardness, but thirdly, anger leads to avoidance. The least amount of times I need to face your anger, the better. And so I choose to avoid you. And that doesn't make for good relationships within the body of Christ or within family. Moses, yes, was a godly man. According to Numbers, it says he was very humble, more humble than any other person, but he had problems with anger. And I'm going to jot down some scriptures for you so you can look at them. But in Exodus chapter 2, we see that first flash of anger in murder. He murdered someone. He saw that, con that conflict between the Egyptian and the Hebrew and he felt, I believe, this sense of his deliverer. He was called to be the deliverer, but he took things into his own hands and he literally killed a person. And we know Jesus tied, we know in the new covenant, Jesus tied anger with murder. They go together. Then he lived a life of obedience. Time in Pharaoh's presence. He ends up instituting the Passover. He ends up taking Joseph's bones into the wilderness, following God's lead of pillar of cloud and fire by night, obedience in crossing the Red Sea, and on the list goes. Then his flesh shows up with the manna and the quail when they were provided. Let me read to you Exodus chapter 16. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning, but by then it was full of maggots. This is speaking of the quail. They, the children of Israel didn't keep then they, didn't, they were supposed to collect it just enough. And when they got more, it, it ended up coming up with maggots. And it had a terrible smell. And what was Moses' response? The Bible says, Moses was very angry with them. And after this, the people gathered the food by morning. Then that was followed by another spurt of obedience in his life. As he cries out to the Lord and intercedes on the behalf of the people. And wants God to provide water for them. And there were more victories, more leadership. There was Mount Sinai in his life. Then we find Moses angry again. Exodus chapter 32, verse 18. But Moses replied, no, it's a shout of victory. It's not a shout of victory, nor a wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. And when they came now near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing. And he burned with anger, it says of Moses. And even in this event, there's a struggle between wanting to please God and being angry with the people. But it was Moses' last bout with anger that brought about this episode in Mount Nebo. God was gracious, God was gracious, God was gracious, God was gracious. And then it was the last time that there was now the consequences. Turn over to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. This is the, the place that the judgment comes. And it's discouraging. And it is because, you know, God, we, sometimes we mistake God's patience with God's approval. And you say, well, you know, I had that. And, and, and we never really read of Moses dealing with his anger. So it's not a matter of repentance and cleansing. He just moves on. And then God blesses. And then another anger. And then he moves on. And God blesses. And then mom moves on. And the pattern in the believer I've seen over and over again where you mistake the patience of God with God's approval. But God never approves sin in our lives. Ever, never. Just as anger never produces the righteousness of God, God never approves of sin. But you say, but Ed, God's blessing me. He's blessing you because he loves the people in your life. And he loves you. The blessings of God are his gracious favor in our lives. It's not because of sin, it's in spite of sin. 
He loves to bless his people. He loves to shower his blessings on you. But they're not his approval. And notice with me in verse 7 of Numbers chapter 20, as we come to this season in the life of Moses, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. And as the people watch, command the rock over there to pour out its water. And you'll get enough water from the rock to satisfy all the people and their livestock. So Moses, verse 9, did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. And he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at this rock. And notice what Moses does. Just the kind, loving words of God. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring water from this rock? And then Moses raised his hand. And what does your Bible say? He struck the rock twice with the staff. And water gushed out. So all the people and their livestock drank their fill. He wasn't told to strike the rock. He was told to speak to the rock. Because this rock, we learn later, was representative of the living water, Jesus Christ. And isn't it true in your life? Have you found this to be true? I have in my life. God will give me the direction to do something and not tell me all the behind, de- behind this, the scene details about it. Just go speak to that rock, Ed. Well, wait a minute. Is there any significance of this rock? Should I speak just right? And what I'm saying going to matter in 20 years? You know, we don't, we just go speak to the rock and give them water. I want to, I, I want to, I know you're frustrated with them, but I want to quench their thirst. I want to take care, because that rock speaks of not just temporary quenching, but it's going to actually be used in the future, inspired by me, through them, this man named Paul that's not even born yet, who's an angry man, they need to get saved. Like, he doesn't give him the whole story. He just tell him, go speak to the rock. And instead of speaking, he strikes it. And he strikes it not once, but twice, which is very significant because that rock representing Jesus Christ doesn't just represent the living water of God, but it also represents the striking upon the Savior. And Jesus died, as we're learning in our study through Hebrews, he died once for the sins, not twice. And this was a wholesale misrepresentation of the holiness of God. Look at God's response. God's response in verse 12 says, But the Lord said to Moses, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land that I am giving them. And this place was known as the waters of Meribah, because it was where the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. You didn't trust me enough. Because you didn't trust me enough and you misrepresented me and my holiness to the people. Because you're an angry man, Moses. Your anger got the best of you and you're not going in. And how many of the blessings of God have been held back by our sinful anger and our justifications? Because this is an area where many people believe, especially Christians, that it's okay to get angry. It's okay to write that nasty email. It's okay to vent every single thing that's on your mind. It's okay to walk around upset, to yell, etc. It's one of the most justified common sins in the body of Christ. How do I deal with my anger? Well, that's been the question of the day, and God adequately answers that for us in His Word. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. 
Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, on the web, we're at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Calvary Aurora. Yes, these are frightening times for many in our world today. But how can we as Christians stand courageously? In Tom Doyle's book, Standing in the Fire, you'll be encouraged as you read about certain heroes of the faith that stood strong in the face of danger. We too can stand courageously in the fire we're faced with. Request a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. You may not realize this, but we look to our listeners to help us remain a biblical voice on this station, and each dollar that's sent in is an investment in God's kingdom work. You'll be helping people all across the nation to become a man or woman that God can use. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also donate through the app. Well, don't miss our next study in Daniel. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 